It's the unknown movie. Unknown movie. Unknown movie. Challenge. It's the unknown movie. Unknown movie. Unknown movie. Challenge. It's the unknown movie. Unknown movie. Unknown movie. Challenge. That's right. It's the unknown movie challenge. It's the unknown movie. What we gonna watch? Unknown challenge. It's the unknown. What we gonna watch? Unknown challenge. It's the unknown. What we gonna watch? Unknown challenge. That's right. It's the unknown movie challenge. Ready for battle. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. The theme song has changed because we are coming early. It's an unknown movie challenge special. I am your host, Pauline Kale. Three hours behind me is Rex Reed. How you doing? Uh, I was doing great till I found out I have to be Rex Reed. Would you rather be Pauline Kale? I, I, I was kind of. I'd kind of like to be Gene Shalit. Oh, you want to be Teen Shallot? Yeah. Okay, all right, all right. Okay, that's cool. All right, then. Um, I am Pauline Kale, and three hours behind me is Gene Shallot. How are you, Gene? My mustache is fantastic. <laughs> okay, so here's the deal, folks. Yes, um, we were throwing a little mini-sode at you because we have a couple of big episodes coming up in the future. Now, as I said last week, next week is supposed to be our super special Who's the Most Stereotypical uh, White Actor Playing an Asian Detective of 1930s, and we really got to find a better name for that, Scott. It need, does need to get slimmed down somewhat. We need to streamline Yeah. That. Hey, folks, do you have an idea? Send it to us, the slumgullion at AOL.com. Uh, uh, if we use it, you'll get something cool if we remember. But anyway, that was supposed to be next week. However, next week, the new movie crew will instead be gathering to get finally to discuss the one, the only, the final Logan. That's right. So next week, the new movie crew is Logan. And we're going to have hopefully a special guest with us for that one. Ooh, exciting. And oh, you know who it is. Yes, I know. That's why I, that's why I say exciting. Otherwise, you know, it could be a bust. I wouldn't be that's I would be true. raising people's hopes. <laughs> and then a month down the line will be our super special give us a fucking name for the thing cuz I, I I don't know what to call it anymore. So, in case you forgot, we're going to be looking at a Mr. Moto film, a Mr. Wong film, and a Mr. Magoo film. Wait, no, Charlie Chan. <laughs> no, Mr. Magoo works out. It's fine with me. I can I can use a break from uh from uh uh fake rubber epithelial folds. <laughs> But anyway, if you can think of a name for this, please send it to us. You've got a month now. Anyway, so we wanted to throw something in. We've both seen um, a couple of new movies that we kind of wanted to talk about. So we're throwing a little at the movie special at you. And I am going to officially be massive time Nazi. And Scott. Yes. Pick a number between one and ten. Nine. We have 39 minutes okay. to discuss whatever we wish to discuss. So, ladies and gentlemen, you're getting a super short one now that we've finally done this intro thing. 39 minutes starting now. So, I'm going to throw right off the bat out. I was talking to Scott about this before we got on. I just got home from seeing... Beauty and the Beast. I didn't feel I had to see it because I had Mexican food with um, 
Emma Watson. That's true. You did, didn't you? Yeah, I, I, uh, I have to say, who, whoever uh, Emma Watson's boyfriend is, or whoever her publicist is, to, or, or whoever her people are that steered her toward this little hole in the wall that happens to be Hollywood's best Mexican restaurant, El Compadre on Sunset Boulevard, uh, the one, the one on West Sunset Boulevard, not the one in uh, Silver Lake. Um, yeah. Uh, Mary and I went to dinner really early. I can't remember why. I, maybe she had to get up super early for something for school. Um, but we went to, we walked in there at like uh, 6.30 on a Tuesday. Nobody in the place, as we expected. And they said, well, would you like to sit in the back room? I go, okay. There's nobody in the front room, but fine. Let's go and sit, sit in the back room. And uh, there was Emma Watson and some guy. Uh, so we could see her like uncomfortably close to them. We're like, <laughs> uncomfortable close. Yeah, I mean, we go there a lot. They kind of like us there. We we get we get tables very quickly. So I'm going, I think they were thinking like, hey, here's something to look at. <laughs> you can gawk at Emma Watson while you eat your chips and salsa. <laughs> so we sat down. Mary didn't had no clue because I I sat down first, and she was you know she was dressed down in 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 civilian attire. Uh, usually when you see Emma Watson, she's she's glammed up for the red carpet. So we say, I go, oh, well, that girl really looks like Emma Watson. Eat a chip. Is that Emma Watson? Crunch on a chip. Holy fuck, that's Emma Watson. <laughs> so I, I mean, it's not it's not unusual to see entertainment people here in the entertainment capital. So it's not like I freak out about it. But it was right. like, like, you just don't see, expect to see Emma Watson in your favorite hole-in-the-wall Mexican restaurant. So I, t- I texted Mary, who was across the table from me. I said, Emma Watson's behind you. <laughs> she goes, okay. What What do you want me to do about it? Nothing. It's not a It's not a warning. I don't think she's going to spring from the pool. <laughs> spring from behind with a knife. Yeah, I think we're safe. I think we're okay. Um, you guys get checked. Oh, my God. It's like this is the end. Hermione stole her shit. Exactly. And then, <laughs> but, then, but then she texted me back as, as soon as... Uh, Watson said something, so they started having a conversation behind it. She goes, "Oh, that is Emma Watson." Uh, unmistakable accent. But um, so, as I, so I said, okay, you know what? Not, not that I have a poor impression of you. I think you're you're quite a, a decent actress, and and uh, you know you you have uh, you have very empathetic uh, political sympathies. You seem like a fine individual. Uh, I, I I haven't seen a lot of your movies, but but I, I I've enjoyed what I've seen and. Uh, uh, but you, you're someone you know, or perhaps you yourself. Although I think it's more likely someone you know has has um, exceptionally fine. I would even say a connoisseur's taste in uh, Mexican food. So go you and watch. Turn to, uh, Mary said, "Oh, she's probably in town because I'm sure they're having a Beauty and the Beast premiere at the El Capitan, which is the the, the big historic theater that Disney owns on on Hollywood Boulevard. To which I said, of course, oh fucking fuck, because that means they're going to shut down Hollywood Boulevard and our neighborhood becomes a mess. And uh, sure enough, like two nights later, Hollywood Boulevard was shut down. Local news is going, and here's Emma Watson fucking up your traffic. So um, <laughs> now, what's the name of the restaurant again? El Compadre. El Compadre, you heard Scott just blow massive smoke up your ass. Sponsor us. Okay, now I will say this about uh, the film. Um, I was actually very impressed with Emma Watson. At no point during the film did I think there's Hermione, which is a plus. Yes. 
Um, she actually, she's very good as Belle. All of the actors are very good. Um, well, okay, I'm gonna say it. Uh, Ewan McGregor, I like you, you're a good actor, but oh my god, your accent sucks. Yeah, and, and even in the tiny slivers that you get in the trailer, you can tell how much it sucks. I mean, it's, but a, here's it's the thing. a disaster and, there. And here's the thing, and here's what sucks about that, though, is he's got some great lines. He's got some phenomenal new lines, and he's really fucking funny, and it just pisses me off that he's really fucking funny with such a horrible accent. Well, I just hope he didn't think that accent was funny. I, but I do have to say, I, I do got the one thing, and again... If uh, you've seen my audio video history, you know my feelings on Beauty and the Beast. If not, go to YouTube.com and look up the Mike and Ike show getting stoned. That being said, I walked into this going, all right, I'm, well, I should be mildly entertained. What I walked out with was new appreciation and enjoyment of Luke Evans. Oh, my God, his guest on is amazing. The song guest on is the best part of the entire film. Josh Gad is great as LeFou. And as far as the whole quote-unquote gay controversy, fuck you people. It's nothing at all. There is no re- – it's just – oh, my – when I found out, when I saw what it actually was, I'm like, oh, fuck this bullshit. Yeah, I had a feeling that they were over-promising and under Do you know what it is? Do you want to know what it is? I, well, first I'll just say what I heard. Okay. And this is, this is just – this is all part of our, our – our, the new clickbait normal. Uh, you know, Josh Gad plays Disney's first openly gay character. Yeah, the character finally comes out in a Disney movie. It's blah, 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 blah. And I'm going like, what? It's probably a significant glance or he does his laundry and sniffs his underpants. It's probably something played for low comic laughs that are in that it is in no way, you know, sex positive or even dispositive. It's probably just a hint or something. It's I really doubt that he was playing an openly gay character. But tell me, maybe I'm wrong. What was it? Well, OK. All right. All right. Now, it's. Again, much like the original animated character, which is part of the reason why I think this is funny. I don't see how you can watch the original cartoon and not think LeFou was in love with Gaston, but that's just me. Mm -hmm. Um, It is quite obvious throughout the movie that LeFou has a thing. There are looks and just the way way Josh Gad does it. You can tell what's going on, okay? Mm Much like the original movie, but no. Okay, at the end, when everyone's happy, you know, because everything's good, it's a typical happy ending, there's a big dance, and yes, and LeFou's just sitting there all by his lonesome, and a guy walks up and whisks him off his feet, and they start dancing as everybody else is dancing. Okay. That's it. Yeah, it's more than I was expecting. LeFou gets a little, I mean, but I mean, there's no kissing, it's just all they do is they dance. I can't say that the thing I walked out of um, the original animated film thinking was, man, if only they had a, a happy romantic end- ending for LeFou. Agreed. If only he'd gotten a little something. I, I have to say I, I was I, free of those thoughts. I'm not disagreeing re- with you with that. But having watching it, I was like, okay. But again, the whole movie, I'm just watching it going, okay. 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 <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. I, it's good. It's I. I can't say I'm totally astonished that that uh, you think that the thing you enjoyed the most was uh, Luke Evans because it's the best part. It was. It's. The, I mean, it's basically they ripped off the Lancelot character from Camelot. Yes. And just amped it up to eleven, and it's almost it's almost foolproof that character. You kind of have to really 
work to, to screw that up. So uh, it was his to lose, but I'm glad that he rose to the challenge. But uh, I don't know why the hell. They, it's, so it's basically how, how much of this is a shot by shot remake? Not not that I expect you to compare, you know, watch the, the animated one and make a comparison. But just in just in memory, does it look OK? Um, Gus Van Zandt would be proud. Oh, ouch. OK. There are tweaks. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it is it is a different film, but there was more often than not more often than I should have been. I was reminded of the original. Okay. And again, I don't even like the original that much. Sorry, folks, but it's true. So this one, if you love Beauty and the Beast, you're probably going to love this movie. I mean, it has the same heart. It has the same soul. It has a worse accent um, by a non-French person. Um, you that, know, that, needs a, to, that needs to be a new Academy category. I like it. Let's start. Let's start giving awards that count. <laughs> but I mean, for me, it was just sort of, sort of meh. Okay, next, real quickie, because we have a longer one that I want to talk that I know that you've seen that I want to talk about real quick. Um, Kong Skull Island. Wait, wait, wait! No, 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 no. We we may do this one. We're not going to talk about Kong okay, Skull Island. Okay, 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 okay. That's fine. That's fine. We may, we That's may cool. make All that right. two for. for... Okay, no, no, that is fine. I wasn't sure about that. All right, then. Let's talk about the one that I really want to talk about, because I kind of told you that you needed to go see this one. Oh, you, more, you more than told me. You more than kind of told me. You told me in explicitly, in no uncertain terms, that I needed to go see Get Out. And I told you, I generally don't go see horror movies in the theater. I will catch up with horror movies on video. I will catch up yes. with them on cable. Don't spend my money on horror movies at the cinema. And then after we talked, I thought, eh, usually you don't give me a hard sell for something unless it's really something that I'm going to like. You and the last hard sell that I gave you was Split. Was Split, which I absolutely was not going to see and probably wasn't going to watch on cable or on video because of uh, Shyamalan. So right. that was a that was an utter revelation. And I have to say you're you're batting a thousand so far with Get Out. Dude, I, oh, I love this movie. Yeah, me too. Um, it's it's been out for a while, so we're gonna be more or less spoilery here. But uh, now I went into this movie, I did not know a damn thing about it. I got a phone call saying, "Hey, you want to see Jordan Peele's new horror film?" And a, I didn't know Jordan Peele had directed period, and B, made a horror movie. So I'm like, okay, uh, let's go see this thing. <clears throat> so I walked into this completely fucking blind. Now, I didn't tell you a lot. Did you get, were you blind going in? Yes, I, I had heard that Jordan Peele had directed uh, a horror film. Okay. Uh, I had heard bits and pieces about the process. I avoided hearing anything about the plot. I don't even think I tried because... Uh, I, I did wind up seeing it very soon after it came out, thanks to you. Uh, it's not like there were a lot of spoilers floating around. Um, but most people were just talking about, oh, what an amazing directorial debut. Uh, and we're kind of leaving the plot alone. So, yeah, I walked in knowing all all I knew was what I saw in the trailer, which okay. I caught in a theater. Uh, I guess that's why I knew a little bit more about it going in than you. Now, one of the things that I find 
amazing about this film and i i this is an um an appreciation that i got for it after the movie even more so as i'm watching it and okay short version for plots uh scott you are a much better uh descriptor than i be short version of the plot how would you describe get out uh a white girl is taking her black boyfriend to see her white parents at a very white uh, upstate or Connecticut enclave. And he is a, a urban type, by which I mean he lives in a kind of cool, lofty apartment in New York and is a photographer who takes uh, cityscape photos that kind of that, that are black and white and evocative of urban decay and, and revivification. And he's a little leery that she has not told her parents that she's got a black boyfriend, but uh, he goes along with her and the parents could not be more welcoming. In fact, they're too welcoming. <laughs> Daddy, by the way, played by the so happy to see again, Bradford Dillman. Whitford. With Bradley Whitford. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yes, yes. Bradford Dillman, different person. Bradley Whitford. Thank you. Oh, God. Head hung in shame. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. I'm over it now. Brad, yes, I, uh, one of my Mother's, Josh and the West Wing. Fucking love Josh. It's nice to see Josh back. Yes, and it's interesting. I, th I think he traded a little bit on, on some of the goodwill that, that, that you have from that character where you think he's a just, you know, like a fundamentally decent guy. And here ah. it's sort of like. He's a little – I don't know how decent he is. He's a little too friendly. Uh, yeah. And Catherine Keener, who usually, yes. who usually plays, you know, Earth Mothery types or uh, is playing this sort of patrician role. She's a psychiatrist and she's sort of remote and always looking at you like she's peering at a bug through a microscope. Um, and she is very unsettling in a way you cannot, <laughs> you cannot put your finger on through the first half of the film. For the first half of the film. Now, one of the, what, what, uh, what, one of the things I really appreciate about this is the whole, while I'm watching the film, the first half of the film particularly, um, it reminded me in a lot of ways of a bunch of, of several films that I remember from when I was a kid. Films like, um, I'm, I'm going to use these, Rosemary's Baby and The Stepford Wives. Um, the Stepford Wives particularly, yeah. I particularly, was... yes, yes. But I mean, Rosemary's Baby more so in the, in the slow burn. Okay. Yeah, I can see that's how I think it's Rosemary's Baby was a slow burn till when all hell broke loose. But yeah, very much the Stepford Wives and in, in the fact that the first half of this film feels very much like a modern day it's a social satire. It is. It doesn't feel like a horror film. It's uh, creepy. Yeah. It's creepy, but it's it's more of a uncomfortable comedy. It is. You think almost if you if you had not got if I had not got in knowing that that it was a horror film, I would have thought, Oh, it's a it's a kind of embittered comedy of manners about right. about modern you know white liberal guilt and overcompensation and and and, and race relations in the post obama era uh wouldn't wouldn't have been expecting a horror twist when i was looking for the horror twist stepford wives was exactly what i was thinking so exactly and then i saw an interview the first interview that i started watch after i saw the film i started watching in reviews interviews and things and jordan peele always brings up his love of 1970s horror films like rosemary's baby and the stepford wives well it's got yeah it does have that feeling because it does for one thing something that 
too few horror movies do nowadays. It takes its time. It really takes its time setting things up and get letting you get to know everybody and develop opinions and in some cases affections for the characters. And then, hey, M. Night, Mr. Shyamalan, take a hint. These are twists that actually pay off because they don't make you think, oh, I will now think differently about everything I saw. No, they changed the plot of the movie. They send it careening off in, in an unexpected direction several different times. Those, and, are, those are twists right. that aren't gimmicks. Those are twists that are plot architecture, that are and story. the best part is, is it totally, once you know what's going on, and well, we're not going to go into that. We don't have to go into that, especially no. if you haven't seen this yet. Because we, I genuinely don't want to spoil this if you haven't seen this yet. If you haven't seen it yet, see the fucking movie. It's a great movie. But um, once you find out what's really going on, it does, though, change the first half. A lot of things make a lot more sense now. Oh, absolutely. And and the... the, the Certain performances make a lot more sense. Much more sense. And the, the feelings you develop about the characters have to change. So it's very it's it involves you emotionally in a, in a way that's beyond that's just the sort of simple limbic system response of fear to, you know, a cat jumping at you out of a you know, dark corner of the basement. It's it's much it's much more well, slow burn describes it. It's it's that yeah. it's that gathering sense of dread and then oh fucking hell, are you kidding me? But there was no point where it's it's like, really? Are you fucking kidding me? It wasn't it's it it doesn't set things up and then give you something unbearably preposterous. It's everything in it is internally consistent and well within the limits, well within I think the ability of any horror fan to suspend their disbelief. So it's it, it's a remarkably written film. I mean, I guess he's been working on it for quite a while. And you said that that's that's really where he wants to go as a director is to he, he wants to do horror films. So I'm like, you fuck yeah! I walked out of that going, please God, go ahead and keep making comedies with with Key, but damn it, you stay in horror. Yeah, and a lot. It's funny that for me, the film and I saw it with a very small audience. And okay, it, that that always depresses me. But I I went and I think I probably saw it in the afternoon. I think I went right after we had talked or the day after um, the film oddly enough starts off with some pleasant chuckles, but it's, it got funnier, the yes. stranger and more horrifying and outrageous it got. So it's, it, 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 it a lot of it is social satire. A lot of it is social satire. Uh, but some of it is just, I think the, the, the candy, uh, the candy trope manipulation of somebody who knows horror films and knows that if you're watching one, you probably know the same things. And as I said to you, the thing that I love most about this movie and the best part is even you need to see it to fully understand it, but the statement is powerful enough as it is. Our hero has to pick cotton to save his life. <laughs> That's true. That is lit. That is not. That that's slightly misleading, but only because but, but only because what you're saying is literally true. Yes, I fucking love that. Yeah. I that happened. That moment happens, and I just went, Jordan Peele. I will follow you wherever you go now. Yep. 
That's it. The man has a lifelong fan out of me for that moment. When you see it, you'll know what I'm talking about. And knowing, if you know me, you'll know why I love that moment. Oh, and a moment I really enjoyed was the whole, well, how do we eliminate the his, his access to a cell phone? Because <laughs> he's in a house, so it's not like they, they're not in a cabin in the woods. Uh, does, his, does it run out of juice? Well, yes, it does run out of juice. But the reason it does and how it does is actually a significant plot point that sheds light on a character and her possible motivations and helps to further uh, the story and deepen the atmosphere of That's Red. the thing. Everything in this movie is there to either further or enhance the plot or the characters. There's e- nothing extraneous in this film. Even when it's an obligatory, we got to get this out of the way for logic purposes – horror trope a la the cell phone so that's this is this is some very creative thinking and problem solving that went into this script and by the way scott just so you know i'm officially going on a quest to try and get him on the show oh please do please i'm going on i'm going on i'm officially going on one of my old school hunts all right i wish i'm gonna try i'm gonna try i want the whole time i'm watching this film i'm like i want to talk to him and I know he does podcasts and shit. He's been, so I'm like, I'm going to try. I'm going to fucking try. I want him on this. Okay. So, hey, if any of you out there know him or if you happen to hear this, get a hold of us. Slumgullion at com. Just saying. And go see Dead Out. Okay, Scott, movies for you. Um, that was mostly it. Uh, I did go see. <laughs> I, did, I did see the musical Finding Neverland last night. Uh, you did say that you wanted to um, get through your feelings about this show. I had, I had feelings about it. I uh, First of all... Th- no, real fast, real fast, for, um, for those of us who may not know what Finding Neverland is. Uh, well, it's a piece of crap. Oh, I see you want more information. <laughs> okay. Uh, Finding Neverland, I believe, is based on uh, a book. It's certainly based on a movie that starred... Uh, what was it? Johnny Depp. I didn't see the movie. Oh uh, wait, this—it's a musical version of the movie. Yes, I believe. Uh, oh my! Oh god! Yeah. So that's the movie about the creation of Peter Pan, right? Right. Yeah, it's about J. Johnny M- Depp played J. M. Barry. Yes, he played J. M. Barry. Way too tall for the role, but okay. Um, and his friendship with this family—a uh, widowed uh, mother and her four sons—and how that relationship results in him kind of breaking out of the mold because he was just sort of, he wrote um, uh, a series of comedy of manners and he wrote uh, this bizarre fantasy that became and remains his most famous and enduring work. Um, Fine. Actually, I don't know why I didn't see that. That seems like the kind of middle brow crap I would go to a movie to see on a date night, but um, Somehow, now, I have to say real fast, when you told me that you had seen Finding Neverland, I honestly thought you were talking about the movie. I didn't know it was an actual musical. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, Oh, God. The only reason I knew was because my wife, uh, and I watch it with her, watches a, a, a reality show called Project Runway, which is about fashion okay. designers. Yeah. And twice on the show, in two, two separate seasons, they have gone to see, they've sent their designers to go see Finding Neverland. Um and then had some challenge based on it. So you can assume going in that it is the kind of Broadway show that would appeal to fashion, fashion designers. 
Let me put it that way. Um, let me put it this way. I was probably because I the reason I went was because I had dinner with my friend Laura and she had had a very long day and she has season tickets to the Pantages Theater and she just didn't feel like staying out until midnight to go see the show. So she said, do you want the ticket? And of course, I've never said no to a theater ticket in my life. So I said, yes, of course. I know nothing about it. But yes, I will absolutely go see it. I will go be the lone, straight, middle aged man sitting by himself at Finding Neverland looking as creepy as that sounds. Hey, if it makes you feel any better, uh, way, way, way back in the day, my best friend at the time and I were the only two guys at a Melissa Etheridge concert. Yeah, see, that's you, you're we want he he won free tickets. He asked me if I wanted to go. I'm like, I like her. Sure. And we were the only men there. Well, good. And it was it was scary. You were you were kind of breaking a glass ceiling there. Now, I plan to to better my record of last night okay. because she also gave me her ticket. To the musical of The Bodyguard. The Bodyguard. Oh, oh, God. wait, they, no, wait, no. Yeah, they did. No. They did. No, no, did. no, no, no. You can keep God, saying Scott, no. no. It's not going to change anything. It's not they a did. thing. This is not a thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Bodyguard. The Whitney Houston, Kevin Costner movie. The Whitney Houston, Kevin Costner. Okay, all right, all right, all right. So is the song I Will Always Love You in it? I'm, I'm going to bet that it is. Oh my god. I haven't seen it yet. I, that doesn't come that doesn't come to me. Do you know who 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 shat this thing out? Uh no, not yet. I will have a full report for you when in it. Okay. Uh, right. Let's focus right. so on any, Finding Neverland. Yes, so yes. There's so, there's so, a so, line. So Finding Neverland, Lone Straight Man, are you still straight? I mean, are you still in love with Mary? If the, if any movie if, or if any show was going to bend me, let me put it that way, wouldn't be this one. Okay. Now, I will say this. There is there is a line in Mystery Science Theater and it's it's some I think it's some mid-80s action movie. It might be a Miles O'Keefe film or something where there is this sort of sort of mincing prancing uh villain and who gives this sort of long speech and then um uh Tom Servo just says, "Dear God, I hate theater people." That was all I could think <laughs> as I walked out. Because it's full, That's... it's full. First of all, there's you know four kids in it, and there's quite a bit of gambling. There's frolicking. There's gambling. There's uh oh, and then of course there's a there's a woman uh, dressed up as Peter Pan who who gambles and frolics the fuck out of uh, that stage. Um, oh, that that ha, that that should go on a T-shirt. I frolicked the fuck out of that. Stage. Yes, absolutely, and I would buy that. T Fury, please make that happen, and you will get my fifteen dollars. Um, it was oh, it was just ah. Uh, first of all, the everyone you just got to used to the fact that uh, everyone's wearing those visible mics now. It used to be when they would mic people, they would hide it in their costumes nope now they're all they're all wearing the little headset uh mics so you you have to learn to ignore that i guess it's like it's like you know a japanese boon raku show you just okay just pretend you don't see get used to just tell your mind not to see the guys in black who are holding the puppets um so it's just i mean it's funnier i'm guessing than the movie was because i had a feeling the movie was like a it was like a drama. And certainly things happen. I mean, the kids get orphaned. Um, okay. it, it's there. They're sad. Things Is it through happen. a series of unfortunate events? No, it's not. It's okay. through, through a series of kind of tedious events. Okay. Um, 
but it's it's very much a musical comedy. There's very broad humor in it, which is fine. It was a pretty funny show. I will give it that. The music um, struggled, but I think ultimately managed to be mediocre. Um, everyone was fine. It was it was a touring company quality cast. Okay. Uh, the staging was energetic and multimedia, which certainly seems appropriate for a show set in, you know, 1900. Absolutely. Uh, it was, I don't know, I guess this is the kind of thing that can run for five years on Broadway now. It just sort of makes me kind of long for musicals that took a bit more chances. Okay, uh, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this, Scott. <laughs> um, where does this fit on the Annie scale? Oh, good question, because there there is the kid factor to consider. Um, it's because, OK, we, we, we have to we should establish the fact that Annie is one of the most instantly irritating musicals of all time. Yes, for two reasons. One, of course, because it stars a child and there are there's a chorus of children and uh, a dog and a dog. Well, there's a dog in this, too. And the dog, by the way, got the biggest applause at the end of the show, even though all it did was that says a lot walk on stage and walk off um oh no it did somehow they got when the when one of the actors where they're recreating the opening scene of peter pan because of course that's the triumphant conclusion uh the actor who's in the dog costume wearing nana um has his butt sniffed by the actual dog so uh kudos to rut rud weatherwax or whoever trained the dog in uh in live butt sniffing, that's really a tightrope walk. Will it butt? Will it sniff the butt tonight? Yes, it did, and it got an appropriate ovation for it. Um, Annie, my problem with Annie always was uh, that the the songs, the lyrics are so stupid <laughs> because they are supposed. To, I mean, they're all very, very simple, almost nursery school rhymes. But they are. It's supposed to be the equivalent of how kids would talk. So. I, I it's okay. I don't mind it. The thing about Annie is they would usually get insanely talented children and then to play Annie and then just blow out her vocal cords and you never hear from her again. Um, it was I think this was worse, actually, because every time you started getting into the story, the kids would barge in um, and they all they all announced their presence by saying, Mr. Barry in in unison and it just made my skin crawl um and at, at least when i saw annie uh it had dorothy loudon as the uh as the miss as uh, the child hitting miss hannigan so okay all right, that, all right that that was a that was sort of a relief you have a kind of acerbic character playing the producer charles froman who was hey i this this guy was a a theatrical titan i wonder how we would feel if he was making low comic jokes as a musical comedy character. Maybe he'd be thrilled. It's a kind of immortality. But anyway, uh, it's it's kind of it's I don't know if it tips the any scale. Actually, I think it's pretty well balanced. Uh, it's certainly I just uh, I just kept I was watching going like, wow, those kids are up late. I wonder when they get up. So I guess they're all being tutored or something. They don't have to go to school. That's probably a pretty sweet gig. Hey, that kid's actually playing the ukulele. That's pretty neat. Uh, so, yes. So, oh, yes. so I, it's just one of those shows where I was watching. I was watching people putting on a show rather than I was getting involved in the show. I totally I have been in shows like that and I have seen shows like that. So I understand. OK, one last thing I will say yes. at, the, at the end. So the the mother of the four boys couldn't make the opening night of Peter Pan. 
uh, because she's dying. And uh, so they bring the cast in and they all recreate the show in the nursery. It's so many levels of meta. You just want to plots. And then uh, they, they, you know, Tink's dying and the, the actor breaks the fourth wall and tells us, if you believe in fairies, clap your hands. I go, I'm not clapping for this. No. If I'm watching. Wait, 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 wait. Are you, they actually do that for the dying mother? No, 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 no. For, well, it's sort of symbolic, yes, because she kind of turns into a fairy at the end of the show. It's very stupid. It's a great effect, really okay. quite really quite amazing effect, but it's a stupid plot point. But yes, pretty much. But um, it doesn't work anyway because she dies. They, uh, But no, Tink, Tink, you know, Tink has a stroke or whatever happens to Tinkerbell. Oh, that's that whole and, okay, and they're Yeah, it. and they're going, you know, Tinkerbell, if you believe in fairies, clap your eyes. I'm going like, you know what? I'll do it in the show. Because they've earned it in the show, but this is like some sort of Cliff Notes version of the of Peter Pan. They're just kind of hitting the highlights. Go, oh, you haven't earned that. I'm not going to clap. I'm not going to clap. Let her die. Let let the flashlight be, let 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 the light bulb die. I really don't care. Can I go now? But when, as soon as I said, "Can I go now?" I just meant, "Can the show end?" And can we all filter out in an orderly fashion? Guess what people in L.A. do now? They get up. Soon as the lights go out, like they think the credits are going to roll. Like, no, no, the actors are going to still be there. They're going to come down on the stage and you're going to clap for them. They'll come out in groups and then toward the end, one at a time. And you will applaud. The, why are you people streaming up? the? Uh, they can see you. The house lights are up. You people are assholes. I am ashamed. They left. Wait, wait, wait. You're, these people left people were, without it, yes, applauding. Yeah. Not everybody. Not everybody. There were, there but were, some people actually some... walked out of a live, a live theatrical yeah, performance. Yeah, like they thought that. it was the movies, and they thought, oh, it's just going to be a bunch of, uh, you know, the credits are going to roll, and I don't care who the standby Greensman was. Okay, even if you don't like the show, you applaud the actors doing it. Fuck you. Yeah, I mean, there were plenty of numbers that I thought were lame, but but had a high degree of difficulty for the performer, and I applauded for the performer. Even the kids, exactly. the kids who annoyed me, there was a kid who did a pretty – you know, da- table dancing number. I go, okay, kid. I will. I applaud you for that. I could have done without it, but kudos to you for getting through it. And there was one terrible, terrible number that was just so. They're all, they're all talking about they're doing a children's show and they're all like doing these sort of dance from River Dance or Stomp or something, and they're they're chanting. Uh, nursery rhymes, and it was really one of the most horrifying things I've ever had to sit through. But the act, and the, it was made more horrifying by the fact that the actors were bursting individual blood vessels trying to sell this thing, just so overblown. And I got like, well, you're making it worse. But on the other hand, you're working hard, and I'm sure you were directed to do this, so that's fine. Here's the uh, here's the last thing I will say. Um, it suffered from uh, road company. Uh, inflammation. Uh, you know how, like this, ha- and this happens on Broadway too, in long range shows where the director doesn't keep a grip on it. But actors' performances will get progressively bigger the longer the show goes on. Okay. You know, have you ever seen that? Have you ever seen a long running yes. show where, like, yes. they're, they're 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 slightly overacting, and they're and they're they know where the last will come. They will milk moments, and it all becomes. Uh, road company shows are like that because they're way away from the director. Uh, they. And they just sort of start amusing themselves. This show had way too much of that. There were people who were just overacting. But um, 
I you know you budget for that in a in a road company, so I wasn't. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I I remember. God, I remember. I did a, a production of Ham- my first Shakespeare. In fact, was Hamlet, mm-hmm. and it was the longest rehearsal performance I was ever in. We had five weeks of rehearsal and five weeks of performance, mm-hmm. and um, it was batshit insane. And I'm not gonna lie. By the end of that run, some of us were getting loopy. Yeah, yeah, that happens. Yeah, it does. But okay, I have one last thing movie-wise that I want to throw out before Time Nazi says fuck off. Um, I mentioned this briefly on Twitter, but I want to bring this up on here for the folks who may not be following me on Twitter. On Netflix right now, there is a movie called The Perfect Weapon. Now then, The Perfect Weapon stars, as I said on Twitter, a bald, suit-wearing, genetically enhanced assassin who prefers two guns. And no, this is not a Hitman game film, for you gamers who don't know what I'm talking about. Same character, but not, if you know what I mean. Anyway, um, there is a fight scene where Hitman is, excuse me, um, um. The, the, the perfect weapon is is, is fighting a, a bad guy in a bathroom and the bad guy tries to kick him and hit, uh, the good guy huh, grabs the leg and flings him into the big bathroom mirror. Now, here's the thing. The bathroom mirror shatters before the guy even hits it. Oops. I had to watch this scene it's like 10 times to make sure that there was no actual contact. The third time I watched it was when I realized what a bad CG effect the actual shattering of the mirror is. Oh, it wasn't it wasn't even a practical effect. I I thought maybe they had like a little uh explosive device or something to make sure the mirror shattered. I may be missing shards falling off of the mirror, but I don't think so considering how many times I watched the sequence. Okay. Well, as I said on Twitter to you, if you're going to watch The Perfect Weapon, watch the 1991 uh, movie with uh, Kempo Karate uh, expert Jeff Speakman, who had a a, uh, a meteoric and uh, short-lived career as a Paramount uh, action star. And, to the... Yes, go ahead. And, and co-stars, not quite well. Also features uh, Mariska Hargitay in her first role in which... She didn't get a single line. Uh, it looked like she might have gotten lines, and it looked like those lines were cut. So I thought when I saw it, oh, this is probably Jane Mansfield's and Mickey Hargitay's daughter, and uh, somebody's paying a favor back, and she probably can't act for shit. So they just let her come on and smile enigmatically at the character. Because um, that was the romance. Uh, <laughs> no, to the, to the I say nay, if there will be any 80s. Kenpo style action heroes for me. There is only the one, the only, I believe his name was Kurt Thomas, but the movie was the immortal Jim Cotta. Yes, it was. And on that note, folks, we have reached the end of our special at the movies ripoff episode of the Slum Gullion. I am Jeff. That was Scott. Next week, the new movie crew gathers to discuss what the fuck are we talking about? Logan. Logan, that's right. The movie that I saw before anybody else. But we'll get to that next week. All right. This was the Slum Gullion, America's only podcast. And we'll see you next week. Do, 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 do. Slum Gullion. We still got some guests on the Slum Gullion. We're not showing breasts on the Slum Gullion. Should probably fade on the Slum Gullion. Slum Gullion.